people talk about competition there's no competition the competition is the person that you stare in the mirror that's the competition because you have unbelievable capacity and potential to do things that you don't even know you can Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast. Your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host. The Sports Insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Bobia. Maybe you know that I ran the successful after sports summit earlier this year with a lot of awesome awesome experts. Uh, you can still get access to all the recordings by heading over to successfulaftersports.com and get the all access pass. Uh, there's a total of 18 sessions where we cover themes such as your foundation like who are you beyond sports, your communication as in putting yourself out there to communicate this and inspiration from other career paths and businesses that athletes can cross over into by simply leveraging the experience from their sports career. So head on over to successfulaftersports.com and get access to all the recordings from these awesome sessions. Today we'll talk about creating a sports business with former pro footballer and award-winning entrepreneur, R. Sesikumar. Uh, he won the Entrepreneurial Footballer Award for creating his sports marketing agency, Red Card Global, after retiring from professional football in 2003. He has also started his own radio station that he sold for millions of dollars a couple of years later. We'll hear about his journey and how today he's teaching what he has learned on his way in a concise sports business mentorship program that he offers online, specifically to help athletes build a sports coaching business. Now, the global sports coaching market is actually estimated to grow by $12 billion over the next four years, according to a 2019 report from Technavio. So these are pre-COVID-19 reports, but still the potential is huge. So listen in if you want to get a peek inside and get some inspiration and hear a good story about things you can do to start your own business in sports. Welcome to Athlete Story Podcast, Sati. So excited to have you all the way from Singapore on the podcast. Well, it's uh, my real pleasure being here and happy to be here. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. I really would love to hear more about your journey from you were a professional footballer, international footballer, of course, playing for Singapore. And you retired a long time ago, became an entrepreneur, got all these kinds of awards, ended up selling your business for a lot of money. And now you're doing sports business mentorship program, which is really exciting for the audience here, which are all former athletes, and some of them might want to start their own sports business. So let's start by your journey from being a footballer to creating your own business. Well, that's going back really in time now. I'll, I'll, I'll try and make it as interesting as possible. I, I grew up in a very, I would say, very humble background. My, my dad was, was a cab driver, so I was the second of three siblings. And we didn't have a lot growing up, but we didn't have like a hard, hard life. But we, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of extra. So the thing for me, an escape was sports. Sports was always my escape. Even when I was in school, sports was something that I was looking forward to. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly excited about geography or physics or science. I, wasn't, I was always wanting to play. I just wanted to play a lot. And the teachers recognized that. Though I know that academically I was good, I could do it if I wanted to, but my... Yeah, my focus was all on sports. I started playing field hockey 
when I was younger, then there was a period of time where I started to, to, to get really tall and very quickly I started to grow really a lot. And then what happened was that I outgrew the stick and we couldn't afford to buy a, a stick. So my coach came around and told me, he said, listen, man, you, if you don't have the stick, you can't play. And those days, the school, they don't really provide you with such resources. So then I said, what am I going to do now? Like a, a lot of boys, I was playing football and I started playing with my, my neighborhood team, my friends, my brother, who's two years older. We were, we were all playing for a team. I was not particularly good. Uh, I have to admit it. I was not particularly good. I couldn't even get into the team. I was always, you know, I was tall. So they said, okay, you, I tell you what, you, you, you stay in goal because you're a tall guy. So they don't know where to put me. They stick, stick me in goal. But that kind of got me really determined to be better, right? Mm-hmm. And those times in Singapore, football was a huge issue. A lot part in the world, people live for football. So I was, I was one of those boys that grew up loving football. And, and along the way, I got better and better and better and better. And when I was 15, 16, I started to develop to be much better. And then by 19, I, I made the national team. And this was all, and I'm looking back now and going, how can a boy that had, didn't have any skills, any, I mean, when, I'm, when I say comparable to the top players at that time, and eventually made it to the apex of the game, scored the most important goal for the country, became a poster boy for Singapore football at one stage. And a lot of doors open for me. I mean, once you're a football star, a lot of doors open for you. And I enjoyed the ride and I played as long as I could. But at 29, it came to a place where I thought I really needed to think about my future like properly. And I thought, what can I really do? And during this period where I was playing professional football, I was investing some of my money into events management company. So... As you know, athletes and especially footballers, we have a lot of time on our hands. We are notoriously guilty for just lying around playing FIFA and stuff like that. Those days, we didn't have that. But I, my dad was always always in my years saying that, prepare for the future, prepare for the future. And so what I did was I invested in an events management company. I used to get in there. Sometimes they used to take me on a pitch because people recognize me. We win the projects and stuff like that. I used to go in there, take photos, uh, sign autographs and stuff like that, which is kind of good and help the business along the way. So I, I picked up a lot of stuff. But I also went to school. I stayed in school. I, I got my diploma in mass communications, learning to be a journalist. And then eventually I did my master's in sports management. Not because that I, I felt that I had to be academically driven, just that I wanted to prove to myself that I can be an academic if I wanted to. By then, I already had a lot of experience. When I finished my master's, I already had a lot of experience in the, in the agency world. But coming back to 29, what was really interesting is because I had a two-year contract. The club canceled my contract in the second year. Uh, not, no, no fault of my own. The coach that signed me, he left the club. Uh, he's passed on since rest his soul. But it was a crossroads for me to decide what do I do, really want to do. I could keep going. Then I realized that I'll be just prolonging this. I'll be you know, really playing for the sake of playing just to pick up money, but not really thinking long-term. Then I thought, okay, what do I do? And the time was so right that at that point in time, I had an opportunity to move to Australia, which is about seven hours from here, and to work in a sports marketing agency. So I said, okay, you know, this is a chance. This is an opportunity to dive in and go and take that leap of faith. So I left for Australia and this was just two weeks, right? Two weeks after I got married and I left for a honeymoon on my own to Australia, which is not the best thing to do. <laughs> Very but, nice. uh, yeah. So, so, so I left for, left, took the opportunity, left for Australia. That was the start of my second career, if I can put it that way. That was the start. Someone took a chance with me uh, because I put myself out there. I, I did things that people didn't want to do, especially as athletes, especially as someone who is a profile, a profile athlete that you sometimes, 
I think athletes are very guilty because the, the ego is important for us. And that's the reason why we become champions. If you don't have the ego, you become same like everybody else. But ego makes champions. But sometimes we take the ego into, into the working world where we feel that oh, I'm so and so and so, I deserve this. But luckily enough, I had the presence of mind. I said that, okay, I need to be humble because this is I'm getting into a new world where I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. But let me transition well. Let me try. Let me have this idea of I'm always learning and thinking and getting better. I got that opportunity. A couple of a couple of months into that whole role, then I started to head the agency. I became the head of the agency. It was strange. It was a great ride. We were doing some really good business in India. I would say that was the start and that was the the transition point to where I am today. Maybe it's almost like oh yeah, almost twenty years now. Well, then you decided that it wasn't really good f- for the marriage, I guess, to stay in Australia. <laughs> so you went back to, to your wife in Singapore. Is that when you started Red Card Global? Like I said, I had a great life in Australia and especially Melbourne is such a vibrant city when it comes to sports. All sorts of sports happen, Formula One, major tennis tournaments and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I had to come back because the strain on the marriage and the relationship was getting a little bit too much. My wife at that time, she was running her own business, a family business based in Singapore. So I had to really, you know, think about whether it's the career or the family or the wife or the relationship. So I thought Singapore is not a bad place to, to live, to be really honest. It's a great place to live. I would have preferred to live in Melbourne, if I'm being completely honest. I had to kind of take the, uh, the hard decision, which to some degree, some days I regret it. But nevertheless, I came back and I think that sort of one part of it re- really worked out well was, of course, obviously my relationship. We have two beautiful sons. That part of the, the thing is really good. But coming back to Singapore, I had to start all over again. I had to start all over again because, again, it was a different environment, different thing. And that's when I started Red Card Global. A lot of people ask why Red Card Global because when I was playing, I got the record number of uh, red cards. Every season, I would get two or three because that's the way I played. <laughs> so I thought, you know, marketing, uh, top of mind, recall, red card, my, my career, people could recognize it easily. And that's when I launched Red Card Global. It was, it was a leap of faith, if I'm being completely honest. I've always had that intuition to become uh, becoming an entrepreneur. I always wanted to be. A, at 15 years old, I tried to put on a, it's a funny story, because at 15 years old, I tried to put on a party to sell a ticket for kids to come. And, you know, it's like a, a mini party, which went completely wrong. We lost about $1,000 at 15. was a lot of money. It's like a million dollars now. But that was the start of my entrepreneurship. And I always had that, that itch. And I thought, okay, this is the perfect time. I applied for a few jobs, to be really honest. I thought, you know, I'll get back into the system with the agency and stuff like that. No one wanted to give me a, an, an opportunity. Nobody wanted to give me a job. Then I thought, okay, if they're not going to give me a job, they're not going to give me an opportunity, I will uh, create a job myself. And that's how uh, Rekha Global came about. Yeah. Uh, do you have any idea why they would not? Did they tell you? No, I think it's a matter of expectations as well. I kind of had a different expectation of what role I really wanted. And the, the roles that I was getting into were not really exciting. By this time, I already probably done some really good work in India with, with cricket in, 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 in Australia as well. A lot of the jobs they offered me was very junior jobs, which I felt that I would have taken another couple of years back uh, in terms of my career. What I really wanted to do is to find something that was uh, fitting and nothing came along. If I'm being completely honest, nothing came along. And I'm not the kind of guy that's going to sit around and wait for things to happen. I thought, you know, I'll make, make things happen. And that's where 
I started Rekka Global. On hindsight, I think it was one of the the best decisions I ever made. Yeah, because it, it went really well. It developed onto a big sports marketing agency. It still exists today, right? Yes, it does in a different form. But I'll tell you something. People talk about overnight success, but there's nothing overnight about my journey because <laughs> I really, really struggled, really struggled for a long time. If I'm being completely honest, there were days that I probably had about ten dollars in my in my in my wallet. Even though I had a really good career as a football player and, and decent money, all my equity was stuck in an apartment that I bought. And and houses in Singapore can be very, very expensive. Cars can be very expensive. So all my my equity was stuck in in in, in an apartment that we jointly invested with my wife. We both of us bought a place, and it was really really tough. And again, I would say this is where my ego also came into play. This the because I failed to ask for help. Because I was an athlete, I wanted to try and figure everything out myself. I wanted to do everything myself. I didn't ask for help. I didn't ask for you know people around me. I was not humble enough to go and say I need help. So a lot of the stuff I started to try and figure out myself, which took me a long, long time. On hindsight, I would have completely done completely different things. But I must say that along the way, I learned a lot. In terms of cash flow, in terms of hiring people, firing people, which is one of the hardest things you can do. HR in business is as important as cash flow in your business, mm-hmm. and that's something that I learned along the way. Business selling, I think, if you're not a salesman, you're not a an entrepreneur. So those sort of things that I would say along the way, I learned a lot, and to be innovative and to think on your toes and stuff like that. These are lessons that you 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 even if you go to Harvard, they won't teach you that. So I I'm blessed in a way. I'm very happy that I I did the journey that I did. But it was in the first five years I, I was telling I was running around chasing my tail, picking up any business, not really specializing in something. But I would say I made some money in the sense that it was just surviving, not thriving. So what made you decide to sell it, or did did you get an offer, or it it was a combination of things. Like I said, after the five years, once I truly understood what the business was. Once I truly understood how to master myself, the journey and the fight was all with me, nobody else, right? And people talk about competition. There's no competition. The competition is the person that you stare in the mirror. That's the competition because you have unbelievable capacity and potential to do things that you don't even know you can. So I, when I started to realize that I was powerful in that way, then things really started to change for me. I looked at places where other people were not looking. And then that started to we started to do some really really cool projects, right? One of the projects when we first met, I was telling you about uh, starting my own radio station, a sports radio station, because I've always had this intention of starting a radio station or, or some sort of media platform. I, I was a big, I, I like that. So one day, one of the best ideas I got was being in. I was I was in the toilet. I was doing the big business, but sitting down. That's my. That's where I I get my most inspiration from. Really enough. Then I realized that I said, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to do. The English Premier League was huge in Singapore. The TV rights were sold for three hundred million over three years. So they're paying a hundred million dollars for TV rights for the Premier League. Then I did did a little bit, digged a little bit deeper. Then I realized that nobody was doing the audio rights. Then I said, hmm, if there's so much demand for that, there must be something for that, right? So, so I pieced one and one together. Then what I did was I. I then advanced it. I, I I went to speak to the rights owners. I got a sixty-day non-negotiable or a, a window where I could negotiate. Went to the buyer, and in the end, when I put everything together, I sold a radio station. And I'm not kidding. And this is something I'm really proud of. But I can tell you that if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's just that whether you look in the right places. We sold that piece of project to a big telco here for for millions of dollars. 
right? It was a three-year licensing contract. And that sort of put us in the map. When everybody started to say, who's this guy? You know, all of a sudden, he's launching a radio station. He's doing some really cool projects. So the six, seven year, it's like, I keep saying in business, it's like pushing a huge snowball up the mountain. But once he gains momentum, when he comes down the other side, you find businesses, you find people that want to work with you because there's trust, there's credibility, you're doing some really cool stuff. People gravitate towards you. And that's when we took the huge trajectory. There's a huge, there were a couple of conversations before, but this group out of Japan that I really enjoyed, they came in as a client. They came on as a client first. Little did I realize that uh, 18 months later, they were actually doing due diligence. Very smart, very smart uh, way of doing, doing things. And then eventually they made an offer to buy my business. At that point in time, we were valued at $10 million. So it was a nice journey for me where I started my business with just myself, credit card and a small table to becoming such a huge uh, 60, 70 man agency valued at 10 million. It was, it was quite nice for a boy who came from a very humble background. I was very pleased, very blessed. I- I'll tell you, I couldn't hold back my tears when we, I remember very clearly we were in Vietnam at the time. I had a meeting with them and we shook hands on the deal. And then I went back to my room and I, and I cried like a baby for an hour because it was, it was a nice journey because we had some really, really tough times and we had some really good times, but it was a culmination of all the hard work. It's like for an athlete winning a gold medal anyway. Uh, you work so hard in pre-season, you work so fast in season. And then when you get to the podium or wherever you get your medal, that's a nice journey. And that's the reason why athletes cry when they get the gold medal. And that's why one of the reasons that I felt that I just couldn't hold back my emotion. It was just myself in the room, but no one really knows. I think my wife doesn't know. But that <laughs> <laughs> was very, very nice. I think it was a very, very nice journey culminating together. And then when you look back, you say that there's like a turning point where you kind of understood that you were in your own way and you were your own opponent, kind of. Tell us more about that, please. I think because a lot of the times what we do is that we try and influence the things around us outside, right? Everything is eccentric, as in everything is about the environment. You try and change influence the way people think or staff things or and then we always play the blame game as that he did this to me and he that did to me and all that then i realized no it it is nothing to do with external everything to do with internal because nobody can tell me the amount of hours i put into my work no one can it's just my laziness in my mind says i today i want to lie in a bit more longer if i don't have a routine if i don't pitch the number if i don't do the number of proposals if i don't speak to a number of clients it's all up to me Right. And, and as a leader of the business, I had to be the guy that took the lead. The moment I realized that that was the turning point, then everything changed. And until today, I, I, I look inside. People talk about, you know, I need somebody to motivate me. I think that's the worst thing that anybody can think of, that you depend on somebody else to motivate you. Yeah. It should be incentric. It should be coming from within. Yeah. Motivation from, must come from within. And all of us have the ability. All of us have the ability. It's just that we don't know. It's like a radio. You know, you need to dial it to the level where you, f- you, you pick up the radio station. I keep talking about radio because I love radio. So <laughs> it's the frequency that you tune to. So I suppose for me was that when I hit that dial and I hit that frequency, when I had that vibration and when I felt that, okay, this was me. This is what I'm good at. The fight is me and nobody else. And if I can run this race and run it really well, be the best that I can be, also provide enough quality and value to people. That w- the trade will happen, the business will happen. And I think that was the, the real turning point. And I have two really young boys now, nine and seven, and they are aspiring footballers as well. B- of course, besides the, the normal skills and stuff like that, I work on their mindset a lot because I think that makes the difference between being a champion mm-hmm. and being an ordinary athlete. And at six and seven, so they're going to be seven and nine, 
And if if I can put their way of thinking, uh, their approach to life, which is always eccentric, that means they're always thinking from within, then going out, then I think I would have given them the biggest tool to to be successful, not just in sports, but anything they do in life. Motivation is, is something that you need to nurture somehow. You may have something to begin with, but if you don't like get inspiration and, and, and fuel this this motivation, it's it's gonna burn out. <laughs> And, and also, I think that sometimes it's the approach. You run out of motivation when you don't have a certain set of routine that you keep to, right? When, you, when, you're, when you're disorganized and you do things all over the place, when you're not organized, when you're not systematic, you don't have frameworks to achieve your goal. And the goal has always got to be some big, hairy, audacious goal that when you tell someone, someone says, you're crazy, then you got the right goal to go after, you know? I always feel that when I tell people something and they go, you are mad, that's the point I know that I've got a right goal to go after because yeah. 99% of the population won't want to do that. They don't want to do the hard work. It's the 1% that go the extra that done that. So to me, that's motivation. I think that's motivation. Mm-hmm. Like to say, okay, because 99% of the population won't do the hard work. Let me be the guy that does the hard work. Let me be the guy that shows them how it's done, Right. So that you don't need motivation. You have a purpose. There was one more thing that you said that to ask for help and, and get help and not trying to do it all yourself. So you went on pretty early and hired people. Well, actually, you started even earlier than that and invested in a company where it was all you know set up and you just were called in once in a while to be the face. So you you understood this quite fast that, that you, you're not going to do this on your own. Whereas a lot of people would try to do everything on their own. One of the things that I've done is I realized that a lot of, not just athletes, like a lot of people in life need help, right? Not because they're not capable, because, you know, they need somebody to show them their way. And success always leaves clues, right? You must be smart enough to go and pick up. And like I said, we live in the, in the greatest era in the sense that we can almost get to anyone on earth if we tried hard enough. Right. We're not in the era where, you know, maybe our parents or their parents, they, they will have to go to the library to pick up some information. They need to go to a phone booth to ring someone. Like within seconds, we know I, I can, I can get to Anya on your Instagram. I can get to almost anyone. So there's no real excuse that you can't model yourself after someone that you be like, you want to be like. For example, if I wanted to be like Sir Richard Branson, for example. He's got four or five books. I've got my, my bookshelf behind and this is a partial of the books that I read. I can pick up a book on Sir Richard Branson and exactly he explains exactly how he built his empire. Or there are a hundred other self-help books there. Or today you can close, go to a website called Clarity FM where you can actually pay by the, by the minutes that, and you can speak to a specialist in your field and ask them exactly how to do things. So when people try and figure out things themselves, I, kind of, I, I find it really strange because when you got all these tools and the only thing that's only going to cost you is money and, and, and money and the way we look at money is abundant, it's a lot and it's transient and it comes and goes. And once you understand that and you say, I just want to acquire knowledge, then you become, you know, you, you become invincible in the sense that you can achieve almost anything. But the problem is, I have seen over time that people don't want help because they say, I have to part with money and I don't want to do that. I want to try. It's better for me to keep the money in the pocket and suffer and waste more time trying to get to the end game. So that's one of the things that I've started my mentorship and tried to tell people that you can get there alone like I did. I tried to figure out for a long, long time. I did. Eventually I did, but it took me 10 over years. 
Like, unless you're willing to spend 10 years to get there, I have a formula, I have a framework, I have a system, I have knowledge, and I have the patience to teach you and short circuit that for maybe say you get there in 24 months. Which one do you prefer? So these sort of conversations get easier when, I, when, I, when I'm actually speaking to someone. Uh, but then there are still people that feel that, you know, they, they want to go. That's completely fine. And that's, that's normal too. The people do that. Uh, but that's what my mentorship uh, program is called, Sports Business Mentor. I started this because I don't want people to go through the same heartache and the same pain I went through. I, I want people to, to get there faster and easier. And actually, long-term, it's going to cost them less money. So what, what does the program consist of? So when I first started that, like any, any product that you start, you, your first version is always not the best version. And I was very focused on helping footballers. Right? I just focused in on helping footballers to build their business, mm-hmm. starting from scratch and uh, helping them scale it. Then I realized over time that that's not probably the best way that I can help people because uh, doing one-on-one a, is time-consuming. Secondly, it was not worth my effort in the sense that I spend an hour, half somebody every week. And then what they tend to do is that they tend to take it for granted that I'm always there for them. And they don't do the work. And every little thing, I get a text message call. What do I do this? Like even for the, so I realized that that's not the best model, the one-on-one. So I wanted to do one to many. Even in the one-on-one, I have an eight-step framework where I get people to, to, to work on their, their vision, their mindset, because without these two, there's no fuel in the tank to move, right? If you your mindset and the vision, you have to have them both. And then what I, the second version of what I've done is I've become a bit more specific on my sports mentorship program, targeting only sports coaches. Why people say sports coaches? Because I realized that a lot of athletes tend to take that route. I would say 70, 80% of athletes tend to take their route of becoming a coach. And a lot of them venture out their own to, to set up their own sports coaching business. Then I realized that, okay, maybe this is what I should do. So the last couple of months, what I've done is that I've taken all my knowledge in sports. I ran a sports academy. That was one of my early businesses as well, very successfully. I ran a football school, started with four kids. When I left the business, it was about 280 kids. We had a $100,000 sponsorship from Canadian 241 Pizza, a local pizza company. And I did some really cool stuff there. And, and obviously, the value grew and somebody else took over the business. So I thought, okay, why don't I package all of this together and make it very simple, foolproof, idiot-proof, you know, three simple steps, eight little mini projects they got to do, and then they'll see. And I was also determined to make sure that they did not spend a cent on getting their business off the ground. So I took some pride in saying, okay, let me find the best way that no investment except paying to come into my course or my program or my membership. Everything else they're going to do for free. So, so that's ready. That's almost ready. I've just finished writing my, my book, which is called The Sports Business Coaching Formula, how to, to set up your business and, and get going in seven days. So I've just basically sent it off to the editors today. I'll get it back in the next few days. And then I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, to, of course, sell it for a very low price in the sense that cheaper than a Starbucks coffee. To get them started, because I also realized that people have to invest. If it's a dollar or two or three, uh, then they start moving. And also, more, more importantly, because I want to reach, reach a larger base, again, the business side of me uh, setting in to say that I need to offset the cost of advertising to get to people. My target is in over the next year or so to reach at least about 1,000 sports coaches and help them build a, a very successful and profitable business. Well, it's definitely some resources that I could have used when I started out because <laughs> I took that route. <laughs> I took that route when I... Oh, yeah? Okay. I still still do. not too late, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I still do. With the one-on-one training and the in-person yeah. training, of course, with the coronavirus is not as good, but I 
have other other ways of, of yeah delivering but yeah it's a satisfying job to have <laughs> no indeed indeed I, i i especially when i speak to uh Uh, last night, uh, one of the one of the students that's coming into my program, he's not signed up, he's not paid anything. Sent me a text message on on Facebook, say, "Can I have a quick call with you?" I happen to have the time. I said, "Just just ring me." So he rang me, and then I, he was talking about how to set up a podcast. He's not even in my program. I just gave him some some advice and stuff like that. And then he he put on the phone and he said, "You know, I've not even joined your program. You know, you are so nice to give me all the information." I I'm always a believer of leaping with value first because in this world where we live in everything is commoditized everything is a commodity because if i'm doing something some guy down the road is doing it cheaper and maybe better mm-hmm. the only thing we have is relationship the only thing we have is the human to human interaction that's sometimes lost in this whole digital world and of course in the last four five weeks we realized that we are dying for human interaction uh, we realized that with isolation we we now value that so much more But I've been doing this for a long time. It's not because of isolation. I've always been the guy that always felt that face-to-face beats, you know, your emails and stuff like that. So if I that that's why I, in my business I was doing 50 trips a year wow. because if I had to have a meeting with a client in Southeast Asia is about two three hours flight. If I want to meet a client, I jump on the plane and go, and I meet the client face to face. So so a lot of trust was built, a lot of relationships were built along the way because that's how I always felt that as humans we should communicate. But, you know, in this digital world, people lose. But that's working working out well for me. So I, w- I would say that you're spot on in the sense that the, the one-on-one is so fulfilling. You know, it helps with uh, building lasting relationships. I, I always say this in business: you don't you don't need a million people to be rich. All you need it's a it's a it's a hundred people, a thousand people that are really loyal and you're that, and they are your tribe because you, you can sell a T-shirt with just put your name there and just to buy it because they trust you and they you know you have a relationship with them. And it's been proven time and again, right? Uh, Off White or Supreme and all these brands. The T-shirt is made in China, but they have a brand. It's because they bring, build this loyalty. And I think athletes got really start looking at that very early, because they have, I would say, what we call brand equity. When they are playing, they have Instagram and 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 all the social media that they can start building this loyal following. And then all you need to do is then think about how you transition that into a business. Uh, you know they have so much leverage that you know we've seen it with Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously, because he he leverages his uh, Instagram so much more that he makes more money on Instagram than actually playing football. Uh, yeah. That that is a sign that athletes should be. Even you don't have to be at the level. And that's not because he doesn't make a lot of money playing football. <laughs> No, no, no! It's not, not at all, not at all. You're right there. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a food for thought for a lot of athletes. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your story, your journey, yeah. and 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 this sports business mentor. dot com is where people mentor. Yes. Yeah. So you can you you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. It's called at Blade of God. That's my Instagram handle at Blade of God. If you want to know more about the the program that I run. SportsBusinessMentor.com. That's the URL. You go there. There's a bunch of things you can actually do. Join my email list. Uh, I won't spare my promise. It's uh, maybe one or two emails a month, but it's action-packed. I teach people exactly how to go about doing it. You can send me emails, like uh, you know, ask me whatever you want. I try and reply all the emails. My goal, like I said, is to get a thousand people to start their business and be highly profitable in the next 24 months. Uh, so that's that's where you can reach out, and you know, it's it's a it's an interesting journey. I think you'll find out a lot more about yourself. Thank you, Nasi, and consider yourself part of the Athlete Story community from now on. No, no, thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my story with the audience. I think what you're doing there is uh, it's amazing. I've been uh, you know following your stuff on Instagram and stuff like that. So uh, great job. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that for the for the for the community as well. 
Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch.